Greetings friends, this is Justin Tarosian, and I'm happy to bring you the Sabbath School lesson for uh, this week. It's called Winsome Witnesses, the Power of Personal Testimony. And before we dive in, why don't we bow our heads together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that though the angels could do a much better job of taking the gospel to the world, you grant us the privilege. And Lord, you want us to share the transformative power that the gospel has had in our lives so that others might have hope and give their lives to you and experience that life transformation as well. As we talk about this this morning or today, and as we uh, walk through different passages of Scripture, we pray that you'd guide our minds through the power of your Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What does it mean to have a testimony? You know, I remember being a kid and going to church, and every once in a while, we would have a special guest speaker who would come, and they would share this amazing story of how um, they went out into the world, and like the prodigal son, you know, in the muck and the mire of the world, and they, they lived a life of sin, and, and finally, eventually, God brought them back to himself, and here they are sharing this amazing testimony of God's power and God's goodness. And I remember being a young man and thinking, man, if I'm ever going to have a testimony, it looks like I'll have to leave God and then hope that I respond to him down the line and give my life back to him. And that's how I can have an amazing, miraculous testimony to share with people. Well, friends, this is um, something that that fills the minds of a number of Christians, especially young people, as they listen to people share their testimonies. And I guess I just want to say two things on this point. Uh, First of all, um, one of the most powerful testimonies that anyone can ever have is never leaving the side of Christ. The lives of Joseph and of Daniel demonstrate to us that we cannot overestimate the power of a testimony of someone who has never left the side of Christ. And I guess secondly, on this note, uh, sometimes individuals do have, and we do have, Damascus Road experiences, and those are incredible times where God goes to great lengths to turn us around and to bring us to Him. And those are uh, wonderful testimonies. But whatever testimony is yours, whether you've had a Damascus Road experience like the Apostle Paul, or uh, you've never left the side of Christ, and just by the gradual surrender of your life to Him, you've become more rooted in God. Your testimony is what God wants to use to bring others to Him. There is unusual power in a personal testimony. In fact, it's very, very difficult for anyone to argue against your personal experience. You know, people can debate on theology and your interpretation of a Bible text. They can even mock your faith in general. But when you can say, I was once hopeless and now I have hope. You know, I was an individual who was purposeless and now I have purpose or I was an addict and and God broke me free even the most hardened hearts are impacted by the power of the gospel as they can see and hear about it in your life and you know we see this throughout scripture the power of a testimony just rings loud and true throughout scripture and we're going to look at a few examples here uh, together and just as we launch into this, there's a memory text each week with this Sabbath school lesson. And this week's is Acts 4, verse 20 that says, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And friends, when we have a real experience and encounter with Christ, when we see Him transforming our lives, we're not going to be able to keep it to ourselves. 
It's going to be something that we'll want to share naturally, just like when you eat a delicious uh, dessert or a, a, a plate of food or an item of food, and you're in a group of people, you, I mean, this is pre-COVID times, of course, <laughs> you're going to go around and be like, man, get a clean fork, try this, this is delicious, you've got, did you get any of this yet? Go check it out, it's amazing. Um, when I taste good food, I want everybody around me to experience it as well, and friends, how much more should it be this way when we experience the power of God in our lives? In all of the people who asked Jesus if they could follow him in the Gospels, to my knowledge, there's only one to whom Jesus said no. And this individual is found in Mark chapter 5. This man was demon-possessed, the Bible tells us. He had scars and wounds on him because he would cut himself with rocks, um, with sharp stones. He was living in the, the caves, the tombs, uh, caves that were used for tombs. He had chains that were broken and fetters on his hands that he had broken with this supernatural strength of the demons that possessed him. In the Gospel of Matthew and Luke chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8, there's their accounts of the story. And Matthew actually records there being two demoniacs. Uh, but in Mark chapter 5, where we are, the Bible here only mentions one of them. Jesus had just crossed over um, the Sea of Galilee and there was this demonic storm that tried to take down the ship. Jesus went all the way across the Sea of Galilee with his disciples into this region called Decapolis, which means the Ten Cities. And it was a non-Jewish area. And as Jesus got off the boat, the Bible tells us that these men came to him, uh, these demon-possessed men. And as they came, no doubt all the disciples ran back into the boat. And this man was there kneeling at Jesus' feet, both of these demon-possessed men. And um, the story goes, and I'll let you read the whole story. We won't take the time to go through all of it. But the, the demons seized this man's vocal cords and he said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, son of the most high God? Even the demons recognized Jesus for who he was and were subject to him. After requesting from Jesus not to send them into the abyss, um, this man, when Jesus asked his name, the demons responded, Legion, for we are many. And a Roman legion had up to, I believe, 2,000, possibly even at times 3,000 soldiers. And so these men were possessed with many, many demons. And the Bible says that Jesus cast the demons out of these men. They went into these swine and the herd of swine ran over the cliff and drowned in the water. And as the word spread throughout the entire region of what had happened, the Bible says in Mark 5 verse 15 that people came out and they came to Jesus. They saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. These people had been afraid of these demon-possessed men. They knew that this was a supernatural power that was fueling them, that was filling them. And now here was one who had the power to cast out that power. And the people were afraid. But interestingly enough, just after this man uh, is sitting and clothed and in his right mind, sitting at Jesus' feet, the Bible says that he asked him a question. He said, Lord, might I come with you? He wanted to follow him. He wanted to, to be his disciple and to follow him along with the 12 disciples. But Jesus tells him no. And this, to my knowledge, is the only time that Jesus tells someone no when they wanted to follow him in the Gospels. Why would Jesus do this? Why would he tell this man, no, you cannot come with me? 
because Jesus had another mission for him. In Mark 5, verse 19, it says, Jesus did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Friends, this man uh, had never really heard a sermon fall from the lips of Jesus. He'd not heard the Sermon on the Mount or he'd not heard Jesus explain the Lord's Prayer. He'd not heard him teach or preach. But he knew what Jesus had done in his life. And Jesus sent him as a witness into the community, into the cities of Decapolis. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I've felt like, man, I have to have this certain level of knowledge before I'm ready to share with others, before I'm ready to share my faith. But this isn't the way that Jesus operates. He sends this man who's never heard a a sermon fall from the lips of Jesus to be a witness because he had had the miracle of a changed life. And Jesus knew that this was the most powerful thing that he could share, his personal testimony. Don't wait until you come to a certain level of knowledge before you decide to share with others. Share what you know. And as you give away what you have, as you share what you know, as you teach what you've learned, God will teach you. He'll give you more. He'll bless you with more knowledge and a deeper experience with Him. I love in the book Desire of Ages, page 340, this beautiful quote. It says, As witnesses for Christ, we are to tell what we know, what we ourselves have seen and heard and felt. If we have been following Jesus step by step, we shall have something right to the point to tell concerning the way in which he has led us. I love that. We'll have something right to the point to share about how God has been leading us. We can tell how we have tested his promises and found the promise true. We can bear witness to what we have known of the grace of Christ. This is the witness for which our Lord calls and for want of which the world is perishing. Friends, this is just so beautiful. God uses the most unlikely of cases, the most unlikely of individuals and witnesses who are changed by his grace to make an impact in the world. And amazingly enough, this man who went out and started with his friends and family and then told everybody what God had done for him, the miracle he had worked in transforming his life. When Jesus came back to this region, the Bible tells us that the people were thronging to meet him because they had heard about what he had done, the power of Christ in the life of this man. This man's witness led to the conversion of many, many others when Jesus and his disciples went back to Decapolis. So friends, the takeaway lesson from this man is share what you know and you will grow. You'll grow personally in your walk with God. And secondly, you'll grow the kingdom of God one person at a time as people surrender their lives to Christ because of the power of your personal testimony. But what do we do when people reject us? What do we do when people uh, mock us even and are witnessing for Christ? It's a great question. And uh, I love how in Monday's part of the lesson, it points out the story of Mary. Mary came to the tomb, of course, uh, with the other women who were going to embalm the body of Jesus early that Sunday morning. And they discovered that Christ had been raised from the dead. Mary got to see Jesus. She was the first one of his disciples that got to see him and speak to him face to face. And he told her, go and tell my brethren, basically go and spread the good news of my resurrection. And this was the best news humanly possible. But as Mary went back and told the disciples, 
they said, ah, oh, she's beside herself with grief. You know, she's out of her mind. Like she doesn't know what she's talking about. Somehow they had not understood that multiple times when Jesus said that he was going to die and be raised back to life the third day, they missed it completely in their, um, their misunderstanding. But Mary was so excited about this good news. And the disciples, she knew. They would see him eventually. They would know that she was telling the truth. And um, this is a, a great lesson for us, I think, that even though Mary was rebuffed by her, her friends and um, you know, fellow disciples and even talked about as if she was crazy, this didn't affect her willingness and desire to witness for Christ, to talk about the power of Christ's resurrection, that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And friends, if this is indeed the best news in human history, then how can we be timid to share with others? When we keep fresh in our minds a view of the cross of Calvary, a view of the empty tomb that Sunday morning, and we remember that Jesus has been raised from the dead, that he's working in heaven as our high priest, ministering in heaven's sanctuary, then we won't be able to hold back from sharing the good news with others, no matter what kind of opposition and rejection we may face. Uh, in the words of Act 4.20, once again, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard as we become deeper witnesses of Christ to the power of his resurrection. We're not going to be able to hold back. And, um, you know, for me personally, in my walk with God, there have been times where I've recognized that my burning zeal to witness for him and to share my faith has grown a bit dim. And every time that happens, without fail, I can look at how much time I've been spending with Jesus, how much time I've been focusing on Calvary, a thoughtful hour a day spending with him. And every single time my desire to witness has been waning and growing weaker, it's because my time with him has been shortened and hasn't been significant enough. So friends, this is a great heart check for us. When we feel that our desire to witness for Christ and share him with others is weak, let's do a heart check and say, Lord, is it because I've wandered from you? Is it because I've not been spending enough time focusing on Calvary's cross and spending time with Jesus in prayer? You know, it's beautiful that though in Mark 16, verse 11, the Bible says that when the disciples heard that Jesus was alive and had been seen by her, that is Mary, they did not believe. Soon after that, they did believe. They saw with their own eyes. And let us be encouraged that God's word never returns to him void. He says in Isaiah 55, uh, 11, that every time we share God's word with others, it does its work. The Holy Spirit is at work. And even if it appears that they reject and they do not believe like the disciples, there will come a time where all will see with their own eyes and will be able to recognize that Jesus indeed is Lord of all. All right, moving on to Tuesday's lesson. This is so powerful. Um, Acts 4 verse 13 here says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived, that is the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. This comes as the apex of a, a beautiful and powerful story. The New Testament church had been exploding in growth. There were 3,000 baptized on the day of Pentecost, it tells us in Acts 2. And then thousands more were added a few weeks later until there were over 5,000 
Uh, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, the total number of men alone came to be about 5,000 people. And these were believers who had been with Jesus. These were people whose lives were transformed and changed, changed by His grace. And they couldn't keep silent. Uh, all of them had a story to tell. I mean, Peter, and uh, just some background before this verse, Acts 4.13, that talks about how they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Leading up to this, Peter and John had worked a miracle in healing a crippled man. And um, as the number was growing, they brought Peter and John in. They put them in custody until the next day. And uh, then they brought them out and asked them, by what power and by what name have you done this? And filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter starts to proclaim to them Jesus, the Messiah, was the one by whose name and by whose power this miracle was done. Peter, the loudmouthed fisherman, had been transformed by the grace of God. James and John, the sons of thunder who had difficulty controlling their tempers, were transformed by the grace of God. Thomas, the skeptic, was transformed also by God's grace and his goodness. And friends, Every single one of the disciples of that early church had their own story to tell and could not keep silent. They spoke with power that they did not have before. And it's amazing that the, the Jewish leaders here actually recognized that they had been with Jesus. This was the source of their power, and it's the only source of our power to witness as well. Being with Jesus will enable us to speak for Jesus and about Jesus to others. Fast forward with me to Wednesday of our lesson. There's a powerful point here. Um, Acts chapter 26, we find the Apostle Paul standing as a prisoner before King Agrippa. He speaks directly to the king and he actually gives his own personal testimony to him. He shares with him his story of how he hated and persecuted Christians and went from a perse persecutor of Christians to a champion of Christianity himself. Paul actually recounts the words that the Lord spoke to him on the road to Damascus where he was converted. And in Acts 26, 16, he says this, I have appeared to you for this purpose. Again, this is Jesus speaking to Paul. To make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I think this is beautiful. And just the first point about this Sharing our faith is not a static experience about something God has done in the past and it just finishes there. But rather, it's what God has done in the past, what He's doing in our lives today, and confidence and faith in what He will accomplish for us down the line in the future. Interestingly enough, the word that Jesus uses here when He told Paul that He wanted him to be a minister and a witness of the things that He had seen and the things that He would see and that would, would be revealed to Him the word witness there is actually from the root word martureo, which, from which we get the word martyr. And, and it means something more than just something that we speak with our lips. But it actually carries the connotation of something that is demonstrated in the life. In other words, Jesus doesn't just want you and I to preach him with our lips and teach about him with our lips. But the greatest witness that he wants us to have, in addition to speaking for him, is for our entire lives to be surrendered to him and be reflections of the fact that he has the power to transform us. He wants us to be living witnesses for him. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul was, an amazing example to us of what it means to be a witness for Christ. 
Just two points quickly and we will close. Over in uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, sorry, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes this to the Corinthian believers. Check this out. He says, imitate me just as I also am imitating Christ. Oh man, when I read this for the first time, I thought, and it still blows me away, I thought this is just incredible. How can Paul have come to a point in his Christian walk where he tells the Corinthian believers, hey, listen, if you want to know what it means to live for Jesus, just copy me. Just do what I do. Just live like me because I am copying Christ. I don't know about you, but I want to come to a point where I can I can say that to people or where I'm a, a safe example for other new believers to follow. You know, we often hear people say, you know, don't look at other believers. You know, don't look at other people. Just look at Jesus. Um, but really, the Bible here says that we should be able to look at other believers that are sincere, genuine believers and gain a practical understanding of what it means to live like Jesus. Just in closing, I heard the story of a, a Christian farmer, an old Christian farmer, who was there with a young man who asked him to, to teach him about how farming can teach you about the Christian walk and the Christian life. And he asked the young man, he said, what does an apple tree make? The young man said, apples, of course. And the old man told him, no, an apple tree makes more apple trees. The purpose of an apple is not just to look nice and to smell nice and to taste nice, but rather the seeds inside the apple are meant to give root to other trees that will grow and bear fruit as well. God wants us to be disciples who make disciples. Apple trees that make more apple trees. Not just to bear the fruit of the Spirit uh, and have love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, patience, all of the, you know, self-control, all the beautiful fruit of the Spirit just so, you know, um, so people like hanging out with us and being around us and so the world is a, a nicer place but actually so that the fruit of the Spirit in our lives will lead to others surrendering their lives to Christ and becoming believers as well, and then bearing the fruit in their lives. And his ultimate desire, of course, is that we would bear a multiplied harvest for him. Friend, I hope you've been blessed by our time together in God's Word and in the Sabbath School Bible study for this week. Remember, there is no witness as effective as a transformed life a life redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And each and every one of us, God wants us to witness for him, to be witnesses, not just the way we live our life, but the things that we say, praying for opportunities to share him with others. So would you join me in prayer just now by bowing your heads to say, Lord, here I am, send me, send me as your witness. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the beautiful transformation that you can work in our lives through the power of your spirit. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that makes an abundant life here possible and an eternity beyond a reality. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the work that you have done, that you are doing, and that you will do in our lives. And Lord, we wanna pray that we would have a holy boldness like Peter and John did on that day that we read about just earlier, that as people come and, and speak with us and ask us about our faith, that we would have a strong confidence and a holy boldness to share you with those who don't yet know the wonderful love of Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.